Hey guys, thanks for tuning us in for this 16th episode of Good Questions with Cameron Dole. Special guests for this episode include Bogey Latiner, also Judy Gold, Jocko Sims, Joe Morton and Kenny Lehman, also Brian Statler, and rock legend Dave Mustaine. If you would, please take the time to subscribe, drop a like, comment, leave some feedback, and be sure and share with your friends. Up first, had the chance to visit with Bogie Latiner. You know her from the All Girls Garage. If you've seen the All Girls Garage, the show first launched back in 2012, we've got Bogie Latiner on the line with us this morning. And first off, Bogie, thanks so much for taking the time. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. Now, the uh, I'm sure this is a question you've been asked so many times. Why automotive repair? Why, why did that become a, a thing for you in the first place? You know, I didn't intend on it being a thing. <laughs> I, uh, I was, you know, life takes us on, on funny journeys sometimes. I was in love with Volkswagen Bugs when I was a kid. And I, a couple of things happened when I started learning about them because I decided I was going to have a Volkswagen as my first car. Like, that was going to be my thing. And I found a couple of things. One was that the only time women showed up in car magazines in the mid-90s was when they were wearing high heels and bikinis. And that like didn't sit well with me at all as as a little teenager. Um, and then when I finally bought my bug, it broke all the time, and I hated the way I felt like I was treated when I brought my car into the shop. So I decided that I was going to take auto shop in high school, and I wound up falling in love with cars and falling in love with working on them and working with my hands, and kind of the rest is history. The working with your hands and uh, and learning the auto part that that seems like well when when you're dealing with the full business side of things how how much did you have to learn to get into the 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 business side of it if you will? Oh my goodness, on the business side, it's a totally different world. I think that's a mistake that a lot of small business owners you know, make, they, they say that the vast majority of people who start small businesses will fail within five years. And I think the reason is because we get into it thinking, oh, I do this thing really well. I'm going to start a business doing this thing. When really, once you're a business owner, you're not doing the thing. You're also doing human resources and billing and accounting and bookkeeping and publicity and marketing and all, like all of the other things. And you really, it's a different skill set learning how to be a business person. The All Girls Garage. I mean, how cool is it for you to uh, to to empower other women to to be able to chase chase their dream as well? You know, I, it is the thing that keeps me going every morning. I didn't know that that was the path that I was going to wind up on, but when I get messages from young women or dads or granddads or brothers or you know husbands of of women who are inspired to get out and work on their car or are pursuing a path in the automotive industry like that is that's what keeps me going and lights me up the shortage right now i mean uh do, do you think once we come out of this pandemic how do you think the uh, the, the shortage situation is going to work itself out Oh my goodness. It's only time will tell. I think we have a a huge trade deficit in our country and it's a real issue, right? We don't have nearly enough technicians or tradespeople to to do what we need in this country to work on the vehicles that are on the road. And that's becoming more and more of a crucial issue. I think this pandemic is highlighting that a little bit, like who the essential employees are and, and working with your hands, being a tradesperson, like that's an essential trade and it's something that can't be outsourced. And there's a lot of beauty in a career path in the trades. And yet, I don't know if 
I don't know if we're going to see any changes in that. I think there's still going to be a trade deficit that we're going to be dealing with for for a while to come until we shift our perception and ideas of how we value the trade. Speaking on that, uh, I know a lot of technical schools are, are getting more interest because uh, the, the regular, well, all of regular has changed. I mean, now uh, the regular yeah. college degree isn't quite what it used to be. So a technical certificate, a lot of times uh, it, it can get you out there a little quicker as well. Absolutely, especially because we're in such high demand. I mean, today, if you're if you're a good technician and you've got the the raw skills and the interest and the desire to learn, like you can get a job just about anywhere. Shop owners all across the country and and not just in the U.S. Really across the globe are saying we can't find techs. We can't find techs. We need more. And so you you've got your pick, really. The, there's a lot of opportunity out there in the trades. Now, of, of all the different makes and models uh, that you've worked on over the years, what uh, what is the most difficult model that you've uh, that, that you've had to encounter so far? Oof. Um, I would say most most Nick technicians will tell you probably the same thing as far as modern vehicles, at least. Sobs. Nobody likes working on sobs. <laughs> And how much do you wish? We call them a sob story. There you go. There you go. Now, how much do you wish that they that they made cars and trucks the way they used? To? I, I used to have an old '67 Chevy that on the weekends you just open the hood and hop inside of the of the hood to be able to work on. And you yeah. can't do that with anything right now. No, you can't. No, today today most modern cars have more control modules in them in them than the first space shuttle. So our technicians today are, are totally like rocket scientists. You know, I I miss it and I don't miss it. I love. I love working on both. They're different creatures. It's like comparing, you know, a horse to a zebra. Like they are totally different creatures. And um, and I love working on older cars and I love working on newer cars. I love the complexity and the challenges and I love having to constantly grow and learn as new technology comes out. So um, I love it all. What is the biggest challenge? You talk about the technology. Is it is it the keeping up and the continuing learning and, and having the heart and uh, and and drive to do that as well that keeps you successful? I think I think so. It's being curious. I think in order to be successful, you know, probably in life in general, but definitely in a career like automotive, you know, staying curious and staying interested in how does that work? How did that come together? How did they figure that out? What does this piece do? And it's just constantly learning and growing and questioning and um, being hungry for knowledge. Bogey, I want to make sure I mention the uh, the, the All Girls Garage where folks can uh, can check that out and, and f- also where they can keep up with you via social media as well. Yeah, absolutely. So you can catch All Girls Garage on Motor Trend every Saturday morning. And of course, you can stream all nine seasons on the Motor Trend On Demand app. And you can catch up with me on social media at Bogey's Garage. And that's on Instagram, Facebook, website, Twitter, you name it. Reach out. I love I love chatting with folks. All right. Well, again, uh, Bogey Latiner, it's been great to get to visit with you. Uh, hopefully, we can catch up again real soon. I hope so. Thanks for having me. Next up, had the chance to visit with one of my favorite comedians for a long, long time, Judy Gold, and uh, talk a little bit about the world we're living in right now. And uh, one of my favorites been been so for so long, and uh, that that states both of our ages a little bit. Uh, comedian Judy Gold on the line with us, and Judy, always great to visit with you, my friend. Oh, thank you for having me. Now, when you say that about you know our age, you remember like I was watching TV the other day, and I was like, oh, that guy 
is my age, and he looks so old. Like, you look at people, and then you're like, oh, they got to be in their, like, 70s or 80s, and they're your age. It's, like, so awful. <laughs> We we are now of a certain age, Judy. That is that is where we're at. And uh, now now yeah. I tell you, I, I'm excited. I, as soon as I saw the the new book that you released coming out, I was I was excited because I knew we'd have an opportunity to talk about this. And I and I think this is something that folks maybe aren't really putting two and two together. But uh, yes, I can say that. Tell tell our listeners about the book and and kind of what uh, prompted the title, if you will. As you said, yes, I can say that. When they come for the comedians, we're all in trouble. And so here's the book came about because I was interviewed on a uh, piece for Vice News on HBO. They were doing a piece on how comedy bookers at at colleges were telling comedians what they could and could not say on stage. And I was uh, asked to be on, you know, part of this piece as the opposing viewpoint. And... Then HarperCollins, an editor from HarperCollins, is like, will you write this book? And I said, absolutely, and I delved in. And there's a lot of history in the book, but it's also very funny. And, um, you know, it talks about the fact that, you know, comedians, first of all, comedy is a unifier. Laughter brings people together. It is a coping mechanism. It's also a weapon, but it's so American. We love to laugh, you know. Sitcoms are a part of our lexicon. Like, it's, we are people who laugh. And when you shut down comedians and you stop, you stop taking into consideration their intent. Like, we get on stage to make you laugh. That's it. That's all. That's our goal, is to make you laugh the minute we get on stage. When you decide, okay, they said that word, I'm offended. Oh, not listening anymore. Oh, they said that. They should be canceled. You know, no. So when someone is on trial for murder, they're, they're, they murdered someone, they're on trial for homicide. Their sentence is determined by their intent. And yet we don't give the same consideration to a comedian. And I feel like once we shut down comedians who are truth tellers and satire is very powerful, it makes you think, it makes you laugh, we are really shutting down the end of, you know, free speech. And, and Judy, uh, along those lines, you know, you hear whenever, uh, whenever people in, in in different different arenas have have opinions and, and bring politics up, they're always like, "Well, what does what does an NBA player know about politics?" And so I'm going to shoot the the same line back at you. What what what's a comedian know about politics, right? Uh. Well, we are social commentators. You know, our material is, is based on being in this world and having you see the world through our eyes. You know, it's like our life experience, we bring that on stage. And oftentimes, you know, you'll have a person on stage with a disability. We all have a person on stage who's a person of color or an immigrant or the child of immigrants or a Jew or a Muslim or a, an LGBTQ person. And you will, for the moments they are on stage, laugh with them and see the world through their eyes and maybe, maybe even change your mind about something. You know, I I remember um, in the early 2000s, you know, I'm gay, and I used to do a bit about how, like, all the, I couldn't understand, you know, all these people are allowed, I can't get married to my partner of 20 years, 
And yet, like, Eric and Lyle Menendez, who murdered their parents, and are in, they can get married in jail. They can get married. You know, they have more rights than I do. They can file joint tax returns. I can't because it's the same sex. It was ridiculous. It was ridiculous. You know, Mary Kay Letourneau marries her 12-year-old student. Um, and I just, it, it was unbelievable uh, to me. And people would come up to me and say, oh, I see why you want to get married. It is beyond ridiculous. And, and once, as I came out in the mid-'90s as a gay parent, and people would, you know, start after about two minutes, forget that it was a same-sex relationship and realize, oh, they have the same issues as we have, you know? It really does bring people together and connects it, people, and it's it's an intimate art form. And in a lot of times, like you mentioned there as well, is uh, sometimes it opens minds, and sometimes you know, especially when you're laughing, sometimes things can get in and you don't realize, and then you leave, and it sparks conversation, and sometimes it can spark change, and uh, unfortunately, sometimes we get offended at those times too, right? Right, and that's a choice, you know, like. You know, all in the family would never get on a network. They would, if you went and pitched that to a network, they'd be like, get out of my office, you know? And yet those shows, when I was a kid, that's what people talked about. And, and it did bring up issues, and you were so invested in those characters. They were like parts of your family, you know? And it could change your mind about something. It could enlighten you. But satire is so American, like, you cannot, you know, look, you think of Bob Hope, who you literally would go visit the troops to make them laugh, because that's what Americans do. We laugh. That is so much part of our culture. It's not like, you know, other countries, you know, they're not known for their humor. I mean, maybe the UK and Canada, but you know what I'm talking about. That's right. And again, the, uh, the the new book, yes, I can say that, available now. And, and, and Judy, I always want to make sure and let our listeners know where they can keep up with everything else you've got going on as well. Uh, well, judygold.com. Uh, you can get a link to the book. You can get the audio book. You can see where I am. You can write me nasty emails, email. <laughs> I'm used to it. That's awesome. Again, uh, Judy, always always great to visit with you, ma'am. I hope you have a great rest of your week, and uh, hopefully oh, we can you. catch up again real soon. Thank you so much for having me. Up next, you know him from New Amsterdam. They had their season finale, or finish, however that is, uh, earlier this year. Had the chance to visit with Jocko Sims. Jocko, always great to visit with you, my friend. Well, always my pleasure. Thank you so much, Cameron. Right now, the way things are, I mean, uh, a lot of worries, a lot of concerns about uh, about hospital. Do you think that has uh, maybe trended upwards for, for the show? Um, I'm not sure. I, I would imagine that a lot of shows have gotten some upticks uh, due to people uh, being indoors and not have many options as far as entertainment. So um, uh, we uh, at New Amsterdam, our focus had been first and foremost to get all of our equipment on uh, our show that we use uh, the the masks and the personal protective equipment to the hospitals uh, here in New York who had been struggling with it for so long. So that's the first thing we did right away. We heard that other shows were following uh, suit as well. So that's that's where our, our focus has been, not so much on the numbers, but we're really excited about this final episode as well. 
And and tell us, uh, obviously, New Amsterdam. One of one of my favorite parts about the show is that there's just a hope built into the show. And 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 how cool is that for you to be involved in a project that that is so positive minded? It is really great. Uh, it's great. Not only are we inspiring people with episodes every week, but uh, we, you know, it's a tearjerker. It's one of those shows that you're going to need a box of Kleenex <laughs> when you tune in because we tell these heartfelt stories and that's what sets us apart from other medical dramas is that we're based on a true story. We have, um, uh, some, we have real doctors and nurses who are there, uh, and God bless them because now they're, uh, they're on the front lines, but they're, they're there with us side by side, making sure that our show is, is done well. And a lot of the credit goes to them. So we're really enjoying our time. And uh, you talk about the the season finale. What uh, what can we look forward to? Obviously, you're not going to give us any cliffhangers uh, information on that. But uh, t- t- tell us about the, the season finale. Well, we're not quite calling it a season finale because, as you know, a lot of productions shut down. And as for us, we didn't get a chance to film what we had written for the season finale. So we're calling this the final episode of the season. And it's definitely not going to disappoint. You will need that box of Kleenex. And we're, we're going to have, for example, um, Tyler uh, Labine, who plays Dr. Fromm, he's dealing with a very dangerous case that's involving a divorce and perhaps a gun. That's There's, there, there's where the drama is going to come from this week. <laughs> and then we have uh, Max, of course. He's, he's, he's trying to play superhero by trying to get this kid who has this, uh, he has an ailment, and he's trying to get him into one of the rare programs that will probably save his life. So, well, you got to tune in to see if he'll be successful with that. As you play the role of a doctor, what has been what has been the most uh, the, the most difficult? Is it is it the the diction or is it maybe just uh, the, the operating techniques? Well, as as you know, I'm, we're at the end of season two now, so I'm getting quite used to it. But I think the the difficult part initially, I didn't have I didn't struggle with the words so much. But the hard part was uh, in the beginning was were, were the surgeries that I had to perform. Uh, not only do I have to um, hit those marks right, uh, be in the right, uh, you know, make sure, you know, I'm not missing my marks over right in front of the camera and the lighting is right, but I also have to memorize the lines, the difficult words that you put them. And then, uh, it, but you're behind these masks, you can barely breathe. It's <laughs> it's hot, you know, in the room the, all the, with all the lights, everybody's watching you. And then not only that, but you have to, uh, you know, sort of emote all of your emotion through this tiny little section of your face that's visible to the audience. So you only have your eyes to act with. Um, your, your forehead's gone. Uh, your, your your mouth and your nose and your smiles are, are gone. So you have to show everything with that. So that was a, a little bit challenging, but now I love it. I live for it. It's fantastic. And uh, like you mentioned, being able to work with fine medical staff to, uh, to, to keep you updated as to the latest information, how much more respect do you have for the medical field, and, and especially at this time? Well, I've always had respect for them. But i got to tell you, um, outside of what our show had done for the, the medical community in, in regards to getting them their equipment that they needed. Uh, we, I, I personally have been also working to get some additional masks uh, over from uh, different countries and, and, and who, who reached out and have been attempting to help. But getting through that red tape, uh, getting through uh, the government to get those masks has proven to be quite difficult. And it was shocking because here we are with a worldwide pandemic it is real. People are dying every day. We have nurses in hospitals who are quitting and I'm struggling to get masks to the people who need them the most. So that part of our show is it's a huge element in our show. 
And for that, I really respect doctors and everybody in the medical community who struggle to really bring that wall down between the patient and the doctor and try to help the patients. It's, it's not as easy as one would think. And so for that, I've learned so much and I appreciate the medical community. And, and Jocko, also, I always want to make sure and let our listeners know where they can keep up with everything you've got going on uh, social media wise and, uh, and also the final episode of the season. Sorry about that. Yes, absolutely. So uh, you said social media wise, uh, you can find me. I'm uh, Jocko Sims on Instagram and Twitter. That's J-O-C-K-O-S-I-M-S. And also be sure to follow New Amsterdam on, on, on Instagram and Twitter. That's at NBC New Amsterdam. All right. Well, Jonko, it's uh, it's always a privilege to visit with you. Looking forward to the uh, final episode and uh, also looking forward to chatting again real soon, my friend. Likewise. Thank you so much. Take care. Again, keep up with episodes of New Amsterdam on NBC.com. Up next, I had the chance to visit with actor and musician Joe Morton, along with songwriter and musician Kenny Lehman. Talking about a new song, Wake Up America. Joe and Kenny, thanks for your time. Uh, we appreciate you giving us this time, so thank you. Yes. And, and Joe, folks know uh, all about all the different uh, characters, the different roles that you've played, uh, television, movies, uh, Broadway, musicals, just all over the place. A lot of folks don't 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 realize the, the, the music that, that uh, you've got going on as well, and that's kind of what I wanted to talk about. Uh, got a, a very special new single. I wanted to talk about this morning, and uh, Joe, where did uh, where did this one originate, and and how long did it go from the idea to uh, to to the final product, if you will? Well, we started about two years ago. Um, Kenny uh, listened to a um, track written by a Ghanaian named Blay, um, which is gorgeous and kind of wonderfully infectious. He called me up and said, "I'm going to send you this track. Take a listen to it. I think it really fits your voice very well." Um, and in that track. Um, the composer kept talking, kept bidding Africa to wake up. And we thought, oh, what a great idea. Let's do something called Wake Up America. So originally we used his track, got permission to use his track to sort of build something up out of it. Um, about three quarters of the way through, we decided, as wonderful as that track was, but that the song actually needed something that sounded a lot more American. Um, and so Kenny went about to sort of then sort of redo the track, uh, recompose the track so that uh, it still felt kind of the same, but basically had a more uh, American approach to it. And so we spent the next year and a half, if you will, uh, I did spend rewriting lyrics and experimenting with, you know, different um, uh, melody ideas. Um, Kenny spent a lot of time doing texturing and, and dealing with the rhythms, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, and as you said, about three quarters of the way through, we decided to change it uh, to a more of an American track. But the hard part which we accomplished eventually was to not take away any of the impact of what's, you know, being said, spoken, uh, sung, and so forth. So I had to rethink a lot of things. I had to rethink the drums, uh, brought in a funk bass player, uh, got a friend of mine to uh, do a nice mix of it, uh, and we kept open to all the uh, feedback that we had gotten and criticism which was the most important thing, was to get rid of our egos and listen to the criticism and be willing to change. Uh, and that's always very difficult to do, to let change take place, uh, just like the song is about, you know, same thing with when you're creating something. But uh, now we think we got what we needed, and we got the impact from the song emotionally that we want. 
And and talked about that as well, Joe. For for you, the the emotion at, at the time that we're living in, so many emotions are are just running rampant. And, and how important is it to to draw from that emotion into into a positive? I think I mean you're exactly right. Um, it, we've gotten to a place where people are very tribal about how they view their political um, um, disposition um, to the point that um, they can no longer sort of talk to each other in terms of how to fix a problem. They can only talk to each other in terms of blaming one another for the problem itself. And so the song is really an attempt to um, talk about all those things, but in a way that brings us together, in a way that suggests that the best way to sort of accomplish anything these days is not to increase our division, but to increase our unity. That, that you know, the two letters that stand for this country are U.S., us. And that's what we, that's where we need to be, is about us. Not about money, because there's way too much money uh, in politics, way too much corporate money, way too much lobbying. Uh, not about uh, my or his or her political career, because that's the other part of the problem, is because people, like everybody else, everybody wants to keep their job. So, But if keeping my job becomes more important than doing what my job requires, then something's going to get lost in the, in the translation. And, and Kenny, for, for you, I got a, a question for you. Two, 2020, I mean, everything in, in your life, I'm sure you hear themes and, and, and music around you in, in, in life. What is, what is the overwhelming theme of 2020 that, uh, that, that runs through your mind with everything that's going on? I, I suppose, I mean, the best example of um, um, music, I think, that sort of changed us is, is Hamilton. Um, and I'm hoping Wake Up America at some point. But, but I think that it's Hamilton. Hamilton sort of put on the stage the history of a, 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 a large chunk of history of this country and did it in a way where they used um, a form of music, uh, whether it be spoken word or rap um, or just simply a tune. They, they put together uh, a cast that was completely diverse. It didn't matter what ethnicity or, or race you were in, in terms of what character you played. <laughs> that, to me spoke volumes about what the possibilities of this country are. Excuse me. And, and Joe, I always want to make sure and, and let everybody know where they can uh, where they can pick up the new track, find out more information about that and, and everything else you've got going on as well. Yeah, we are um, on all platforms, I believe, at this point. Uh, and the way to distinguish our song is, of course, it's Wake Up America by or featuring Lehman and Morton. Up next, New York Times bestselling author has a brand new book called Hoax. Brian Stetler on visiting with us today about that new book. Brian Stelter on the line with us this morning. And first off, Brian, thanks so much for taking the time to be on the show. Hey, thank you. I'm just glad that Hoax came out before Bob Woodward's book, Rage. You know, Rage comes out, and it's going to be all the rage, but... uh but Hoax was able to beat Bob Woodward, so I'm happy about that. <laughs> there you go. Uh, you got that going for you. Now, now, Brian, tell us a little bit about uh, when you knew that you had to get this uh, put in print form, if you will, in in front of the, uh, well, voters, if nothing else. Yeah, well, well look, I think uh, Fox News is the biggest story on my beat, which is the media beat. I've been covering Fox in different ways for 16 years, and the network has really changed. It's always been conservative, and there's obviously lots of room for conservative media out there. But Fox has turned conservative, like turned conspiratorial and extreme. There's so much pro-Trump propaganda that clouds our understanding of the world. And, uh, and that's what I tried to examine and uncover in hoax. I had so many staffers at Fox complaining to me, confiding in me, 
about problems at the network. So that's really at the heart of the story. How is it that this network was hijacked by President Trump? And how does it misinform the president? That's really what the story is about. Now, uh, how, how deep does the, does the connection go in your eyes? <laughs> well, you know, there's always been this kind of revolving door in Washington where journalists would join the White House and vice versa. But the revolving door spins a lot faster now in the Trump years. The president will literally point at the TV, he'll see someone he likes, and he'll say, I want to hire that person. You know, he wakes up in the morning, watches Fox and Friends, and then tweets all about it. So I would argue to you that uh, Fox is setting the agenda, not the president. And that is a funky situation to be in. You know, George W. Bush wasn't obsessed with CNN. Uh, Barack Obama wasn't obsessed with MSNBC. But Trump is addicted to Fox. And I think that's had a real consequence for the country. And how do you think the, the coverage that Fox has given for President Trump and, and for pr- presidents prior to him, how do you think their coverage has affected the other networks as well? Yeah, well, instead of coverage, it's about giving him cover. Uh, instead of about covering the news, it's about covering up the news. And that has affected the other networks. You know, I feel responsibility on CNN to try to point out how this feedback loop works, to try to point out when the president gets an idea from Fox and then makes a policy decision as a result. I don't think we can really understand the Trump presidency without understanding what he's watching on TV every day. And uh, obviously we, we, we can find out what he's been watching because uh, he, he tweets rather regularly as well. And does, does, <laughs> does that make, Brian, does that make your job just <laughs> that much easier? <laughs> I suppose it does make the job a little easier, but also very stressful. The tweets never end. Uh, you know, th- there is a alternative reality history of this presidency that would have gone like this. He turned off the Twitter feed, he turned off the TV, put his head down, and tried to appeal to all Americans. And I think he would probably have a much higher approval rating if he had done that. But instead, look at what happened in February and March. He took his cues from Fox and he downplayed the pandemic, uh, and that's had disastrous consequences. That's why the book is called Hoax, uh, because the president once used the word hoax in relation to the pandemic, he was complaining about Democrats politicizing the virus. Uh, and, uh, and so when the pandemic struck and upended all of our lives, uh, I rewrote the beginning and the ending of this book and, of course, gave it a new name. And, and Brian, with, uh, with the, the election coming up, obviously the, the polling yeah. kind, kind of follows the, kind of the same thing we saw about four years ago. Uh, how, cl- how realistic are people taking those numbers at the polls now as opposed to what we saw four years ago? I think journalists have learned to be a lot more careful in the way we cover polls. Polls are just a snapshot in time. They are, by and large, accurate. The numbers do reflect reality, but they change over time, and they're only as good as the, um, as the pollsters. So, you know, we have to be careful and cautious in our coverage of polls and use them as one of many ways to know what's happening in the election. And obviously, as you started writing on the book, you, you had a theme, you had ideas in mind. What was, what was the big aha moment in, in the preparation for putting the book out? I think it's when people at Fox News said to me, our network has become dangerous. This has become hazardous. You know, these are journalists and anchors and producers of the network who are uncomfortable with the content. They think that what Sean Hannity is doing in prime time is a problem. Now, of course, Hannity disagrees, and in the book I try to be fair to everybody and express multiple points of view. But there's a real fight. There's a real tug of war inside Fox. And, and when I started to hear about that, by having drinks with sources, coffee meetings with sources, 
I realize there's a big untold story here. And Brian, I want to make sure and let our listeners know more information if, to, to find more information about the book and also everything you've got going on social media-wise as well. Find me at Brian Felker on Twitter, and you can go to buyhoax.com for the book. All right. Well, Brian, again, thank you so much for your time this morning. Looking forward to spending some time with the book, and hopefully we can catch up again real soon, my friend. Thank you. And finally, we've got rock legend Dave Mustaine. Of course, you know him from his time with Megadeth, still with Megadeth, and his time before that with Metallica. Had the chance to visit with him about a new book called Rust in Peace about uh, 30 years ago, the making of that album with Megadeth. Dave, thanks so much for taking the time to be on the show. You're welcome. I'm busy recording the new album, but this has been really important because... The record's a milestone for us and means a lot for a lot of people. So we just wanted to make sure everybody had, you know, a fun anniversary and they can pick up this book while they're celebrating. And for you, the the, the memories that it brings back of the of the process of the album, uh, has it been bittersweet? Good, mostly good. So did it bring back some memories that uh, maybe you would, you'd tried to suppress a little bit? I think maybe a little of both. If I be honest. Now, what uh, what what was the mindset for you, uh, musician wise, at the time of the uh, of the recording, and uh, how hard was it for you to to put words down on paper? Did, did that get difficult at times for you as well? I, I think so. I was having a hard time even even surviving because of my life circumstances and you know, how I was living, and and more importantly, how I was not living and how I was um, <coughs> taking emotional hostages as girlfriends and kind of just um, just putting one foot in front of the other. And granted, the music came easy. It was pretty much like, you know, um, just sap coming from a tree. You know, it was, it was constant. It wasn't always, you know, rushing out or anything, but it was constant. And um, I think a lot of people were really blown away by that. And, I mean, they talk about it in the book, too. Now, for you to, to, to have the book out there doing virtual tours, obviously things are, are quite different this time around. And uh, what, what's, what's been the hardest thing for you to adapt to this time around? Uh, not having the ability to, to touch and feel and smell the people at the stores and, and at the venues and stuff. I know this is going to be over with real soon. Um, I mean, I... I, I I have my beliefs. My beliefs are strong. I don't push them on anybody, but I have my beliefs, and and I believe this is going to be uh, uh, over. But you know, I know that uh, that there's behind every mountain there's another mountain. You know, <laughs> uh, if we if we look if we look backwards, we we have the bird flu, the Spanish flu. You know, keep going backwards, you end up with the bubonic plague. I <laughs> think it's just part of human nature because we opened the door to sickness and disease so many, many, many years ago. So just, uh, I, I think if we listen to the people who um, who know, not the people who talk, but if we listen to the people who know, we're going to be okay. Yeah. Now, now, Dave, as you look back at the, the memories of, of making of the album, uh, how... How hard is it to look at, at at the person that you were then, as opposed to uh, who you are today? And obviously, the things you've gone through is, is is why you are who you are today. And how hard is it to look at those times? I guess is what I'm trying to ask. Uh, the behavior or my appearance? Uh, no, not the the, the, the behavior, the the, the the life. Well, I think 
if you listen to the whole story, um, you'll know that that was a horrible existence for me at, mm-hmm. at my age and how I was living. It was awful. And um, I, I know, uh, I look at that and I, and I think, God, I can't believe you survived. <laughs> but uh, I also I also know that uh, it made me a much stronger person. And, and I am really excited about what's going on in, in my life now because all those crazy things that, that happened to me, I get to... Uh, um, share with people, you know, and hopefully make their lives better. Because um, I know some of that stuff that really messed with me. It's uh, it's something that, you know, I learned from it. And if I, if I don't learn from it, then I have to go. And, and, and Dave, obviously, like you said, you, you learn from it and, and it gives you a chance to, to to talk to others and is that an easier thing for you to do now uh, for you to be able to relate and and how cool is that for you to be able to maybe make a difference in somebody else's life because of what you've been through well it's a uh, it's a blessing you know I don't I said I uh, don't like push this stuff on anybody but Mm -hmm. I try and you know have a clean living and I try and and, uh, humble myself because I know there's always going to be somebody or something that's going to be better than me, uh, better guitar player, better better singer, better father, better um, husband. So for me, I just constantly put one foot in front of the other, and I'm happy with what I got. The music is what really takes me away and, and gives me uh, a lot of the, uh, um, I don't know, the, the, uh, the emotional uh bankruptcy that I have in certain areas of my life music is able to uh, make serious deposits and and I, I think that having great players too at the time when we did Rest in Peace that that was just absolutely thrilling you know Mike Clink too you, you look at all the players yeah. <laughs> Clink came and he left and Macasia took over and then he didn't and he was there and he wasn't and then um, we ended up uh finishing it with Max and then Max jumps in for Countdown and then after Countdown to Euthanasia and, and we just had this weird, weird, crazy dynamic that we picked up where it was a two album curse. I don't know if you've <laughs> heard of that with Megadeth. Have you heard about that? I have. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I won't I won't waste any airtime on that. But you know, it's just it's it's crazy how you pick up these things and and I'll be damned if we get through this record um and uh, we keep going, you know, uh, we will have broken the curse. And and for me, I, I'm really, 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 really happy with uh, Chris Rake's trust performance and the way that the new record's turning out. That's awesome. And again, like rest in peace. The, that's right. Again, the, the book, Rest in Peace. Dave, I want to make sure and, and let folks know where they can keep up with uh, more information about that uh, and, and everything you got going on social media-wise as well, my friend. If you go to Megadeth.com, you can you can see on the front page, there's a big picture of a guy that kind of looks like me, but a lot younger. <laughs> and there's, uh, uh, you can pretty much look just about anywhere that there's a bookstore, uh, Barnes & Noble, it's uh, on Amazon, it's in, um, gosh, I, 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 I can see the picture in my mind right now of all of the different logos and stuff of the different stores, and I, I'll be darned if I can remember them all. But if you go to the Megadeth homepage, it's there. The homepage has a splash page, which if you go down to the bottom, you'll see 
all those uh, great stores that are supporting the record. All right. Well, Dave, it is, uh, it's truly been a privilege and, and an honor to visit with you. Hope you have a great weekend, you and too, uh, hopefully we can catch up again soon. Anytime. My door's always open to you both. Like you said, for more information, just visit Megadeth.com. Again, thanks for tuning us in for this episode of Good Questions with Cameron Dole. And if you ever have a comment, a question, or anything else you'd like to know, find me on Instagram, aka underscore Cameron, on Twitter at Cameron Dole, and on my Facebook page, Cameron Dole Altus. If you'd like to help in the funding for this podcast, feel free to click the support tab and follow the instructions. We'll be back with episode number 17 coming up real soon.